the next day, I, I went into the office of the owners and said, I'd like to have lunch with you. Because I thought that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm sitting around waiting to be perfect before I feel like I'm worthy to make this move. And if I do that, someone else is going to get there first. Welcome back to Women at Work, a podcast celebrating the vast experiences women can have in the residential construction industry, along with the unique skills and approaches each woman brings to her role. Hi, I'm Caroline Broderick, your co-host of work and the associate editor for ProBuilder. Remember, if you like what you're hearing and want us to keep putting out new episodes, it would help us a lot if you'd leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Even a short review helps show support for women builders, designers, and business managers who are crushing it at work and beyond. My name is Sarah Lawson, and I'm the owner of SNH Construction. We are a residential construction company based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Sarah Lawson only wanted to improve SNH Construction, the company she worked for as a project manager for nearly a decade. Having had experience owning her own construction business, she pushed her hesitations aside and drew up a proposal to become SNH's new owner as its current owners were nearing retirement. The transition took some guts, time, confidence, and a well designed plan, but most importantly, it took Lawson believing in her abilities. Could you tell me a little bit more about your company, SNH Construction? Yes, so SNH Construction, as I said, we're based in Cambridge. We have about 45 employees. We are a high-end construction company. So what that means is we make beautiful things where we know the technology of buildings. We have craftspeople on our staff, and we're also really good at managing projects. That's a very important piece when it comes to sort of the higher end of the market is making sure you're in control of the job and customers are communicated with and all of that stuff. Several years ago, you weren't the owner of SNH Construction. You were the, a project manager now. But now you're the owner, and we kind of shared your transition story in Custom Builder Magazine back in 2016 when it was all happening. But I'd love to yes. hear a little bit more about that transition from you. So to start, can, can you tell me how you poised yourself to be a strong choice as the company's new owner, and also maybe why you wanted to take on that role? When I tell this story about how I became the owner of SNH, I always make sure to emphasize that it wasn't a question of being chosen. It was a question of putting together a proposal and approaching them because I thought there was an opportunity. I find that that message is important for me to get across to women in the industry also because that's something that I think everybody has maybe less of a tendency to do, and I think it's fair to say that women really have less of a tendency to do that. I've been a builder for about 20 years, and when I started, I was um, running my own small company. It was just uh, I had all subs working for me, and I managed those jobs on site. So I sort of had the I was the boss experience in a mini version of what we have now. Um, and just in terms of construction, I, I love design. I love the technical challenges. I love making people's lives better, as strange as that sounds. Um, I think design is incredibly powerful, and it actually impacts the world in a great way. So I'm interested. I've, I've been interested in construction for those reasons. As I said, I started in the business just, sort of humbly, <laughs> as we all do, um, learning as I went and, and taking on projects that weren't huge. I switched over to SNH Construction about 15 years ago, and the reason I did that really is because I wanted to do this with other people. Because when you're the sole owner, 
of a construction company or any company, and certainly sort of a you know not a big company, you're you do everything, and you don't have someone who's taking half the burden. It's sort of all you. So after I moved to SNH, I just such a great company, wonderful people, positive environment, and I just love being there. And I had been there for maybe, I mean, I guess probably seven or eight years. I approached the owners and asked them if I could take some time off for my project manager job in order to work on the technology systems in the company. We had some improvements, some updates, some, you know, getting with the century things we needed to do, and I could see that we really would be enhanced by doing that. So I worked on that, implemented, uh, let me think. I worked on that and implemented a financial reporting system for the company, which is pretty important. Once I had gotten through the new system for the financial reporting for the company and just that process of making the company better was sort of addicting. And that's when I started thinking, hmm, you know, you know, it would be fun. More fun than this is spending my whole rest of my career working on making the company better. So I approached the owners. The owners were in their early 60s or just sort of barely 60. And but I still thought they might be thinking about what they were going to do to wind down their work time and to hand the company off to somebody. I approached the owners with a proposal that had a framework for buying the company, and I really recommend doing it this way. I didn't put a value in there because a value is something you get a third party to to come up with for you. If it's too high and you can't come to agreement on that, then there's no deal. However, it's really important, I think, for the owners to be able to sort of picture how it would work. Aside, just forget the number. Work on what would this be like. So I came to them with a spreadsheet that said, this is what I'm thinking. You know, it would be this much up front and, or, you know, this percentage. I think I set it at a million dollars just as, let's pretend it's a million dollars. This percentage would be up front. This percentage I'd pay you over time, blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember really. So that really started the conversation going and we were able to have something to sort of work on. But I do think it was a big difference between going to them with a proposal and what had happened to them with other employees who'd come to them and said, when you think of selling, call me. Oh, really? So that that was a conversation they had had previously. So Mm -hmm. can you talk to me a little bit more about why your proposal was different and, you know, ultimately was the one that worked? Well, I I had a proposal. Other people just vaguely said I'd be interested in talking to you about buying the company when you get around to selling it. So it was much more passive. And I actually came to them and said, this is what I'm proposing. And it turned out that when we made our agreement, you know, six months later, it wasn't that exact structure, but it, it didn't matter because I had come to them with a starting point for that and it enabled them to visualize it. You know, it's interesting. I jumped on what you said about how did I position myself to be sort of chosen. Um, and the reason I jumped on that is because early on when when uh, the owners, the previous owners and I were out sort of doing, you know, interviews and talking to people about what we had done, one of the previous owners kept saying when he told the story, well, you know, we came to Sarah and we said blah, 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 blah. And after he did it a couple times, I said... <laughs> Doug, don't say that because, first of all, it's not true. And second of all, it sounds like I was sitting in the typing pool and you guys came over and said, hey, you want want the company? Like, it doesn't give people confidence. 
to think that I was just sort of passively chosen and here I am, they shoved me into the, you know, into the limelight. See what you can do, sister. You know, so I think that's really something important for women to understand because it has a lot of agency in it. And I think that's really important. One of the things that made me make that appointment with the, with the previous owners is that I was waiting until I finished this implementation of this software system to sort of prove my worthiness, right? And as we all know, software systems are never done. So <laughs> I was sort of waiting and waiting, and I read an article in The Atlantic about how women don't go for jobs um, until they're overqualified and then go for jobs before they're qualified. There are other studies that I'm sure you're aware of where you know, men's assessment of how they did on something is higher than they actually did and women's is lower than they actually did. When I read that article, the next day, I, I went into the office of the owners and said, I'd like to have lunch with you because I thought that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm sitting around waiting to be perfect before I feel like I'm worthy to make this move. And if I do that, someone else is going to get there first. I also wanted to know about how that transition was for you overall and how that was for your employees too. Do you think that transition from those two owners to you went smoothly? I would say that we did it in a very gradual way and that when I first started, I didn't know that I wasn't going to be able to get where I wanted to go with 100% the original crew. That's something that some people who've gone in and made, made a company their own probably know from experience. But for me, it needed to be, it had to be more organic than that and also had to be just sort of what feels right. And when I first started, I, you know, I obviously had the whole regular crew. I, was, I had been a project manager and all of a sudden I'm the boss. <laughs> so that, that's like, I used to say that I'm renegotiating my relationship with, you know, 400 people because it's my it's employees it's customers it's subcontractors it's you know inspectional services it's absolutely everybody that i interact with all of a sudden in one day change it was just getting comfortable in the saddle i mean i don't think i really felt like the owner probably until like two years i mean and for a year i just stayed in my cube i want to kind of go now to the present. And I would love if you could tell me a little bit more about how S&H has possibly changed and for the better mm -hmm. since you've taken yep. over. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully for the better, right? Well, I pretty <laughs> much ruined it. <laughs> no. Um, well, I think S&H has changed for the better since I've owned it because S&H under the previous owner's was 40 years old. It came from sort of an old school background. It did really well because the previous owners are really nice, ethical, smart, hardworking people. They're awesome. They managed to make it work. I don't feel comfortable having it as sort of freestyle as they did. And I'm not sure that we can compete now with it like that. So in the time since I've owned it, and even before I owned it, we're working on getting our systems more consistent. And I mean things that are pretty basic to construction and throughout the industry, but it's really just like 
every two weeks we have a meeting and at that meeting we have minutes and at that meeting we have a, a financial reporting system that's by cost code that has change orders in it as well. We just sort of built this whole big ball of technology from nothing. We didn't have that. We had QuickBooks and um, Excel and we had FileMaker for our database of customers. We went from very free range, you know, to okay, let's get <laughs> let's get this. You know, we standardized the, the job names so that you could find them. We used to name them creatively, like, you know, fire station instead of <laughs> you know, Jones dot L one thirty Main Street dash with a number. So now you can find them. They're in the cloud. It's just so much more um I mean, it's just that whole thing about trying to create order out of chaos. It's so much more orderly than it was. Still more to go, in my opinion. And so it, it okay. sounds like to me you're you're changing the operations pretty dramatically, right, but over time. Yeah. So how did you make your employees kind of feel comfortable with this whole operation business change and the use of these new technologies? The people who are really impacted by the new technologies are the project managers. The supers out in the field are, they're seeing the, this reporting and they need to know what's in it, but they're not sitting at a computer doing it. So it was a question of getting project managers invested in it. And I did it, we did it in a bunch of ways. I would say when I first started doing these changes and I wasn't the owner, I had several project managers just refused to do it because the previous owners never said, do this or else, right? So once I bought the business, one of my first acts was, all right, everybody, we're I'm meeting with the project managers every month, and you guys have to show me up-to-date financial reporting and Gantt charts. And that's something that's just a workflow thing. It helps people do it when they know they have to sit down and, and show it to somebody. So that went pretty well, but I still had some of the old dogs who – were very resistant and um, I'm thinking of a couple and they eventually left. Just wasn't sort of for them. Um, but the the people who are newer to the company are just, that this was the big difference. They're newer to the company and they never knew me as a project manager. And they're like, you're my boss. I'm doing what you want. <laughs> and so that made it much sort of easier. And also, of course, it makes perfect sense. I mean, just it makes life better for all of us by having these jobs more under control. So in terms of my campaign to get it rolled out to people, it was really just these technologies have to make people's lives better or else it's really hard to get people to do something just by saying, try harder. I don't like those kinds of directives. I always say that I don't want any, it's very rarely do I have, a solution where it's just try harder. You have to understand what they need in terms of making it easier to do their job and have their jobs more under control. And then you have to create maybe some artificial gateways like they have to meet with me once a month, but it's really putting them in place so that it works for them, they understand it, and it makes their jobs easier. I took a very slow approach to getting people to absorb these things, and, and I definitely was getting comments from my CEO group, they're much more like, you know, implement it, make it so, and, and if people don't do it, fire them. But I feel like 
Um, I don't think real change happens that way is my real opinion. I think you have to make it worth people's while in the sense that it actually works for them to use it with maybe a little bit of, as I said, gateways for them to have to show that they're doing it. But anyway, the point of my story is I don't, I don't really think you can, even if you think you're ramming things down people's throats, that's just not how people make real change. Thank you to Sarah for joining me on the podcast and sharing your experience. Links to SNH Construction will be in the episode show notes. And thank you all for listening. If you can, consider taking a few moments to rate and review our show. Our next podcast will feature another powerful woman in the industry. Until then, follow us on social and keep the work up.